Two weeks ago, cast your minds back, right? Two weeks ago, uh, we finished our series on Exodus, right? Does anyone remember that? You haven't got like, that would be good. Otherwise, I'd be worried about your, your memories, right? But uh, two weeks ago, we finished our series on, on Exodus. And uh, I, I preached on walking into promise, right? And, and one of the things I talked about was in life, we need moments. In, uh, in life, we need memorials. We need uh, places in our life that we can look back on, that we can reflect on, that, that build our faith, right? Does everyone remember that? Okay, good. Good, you're building my confidence. Uh, and then last week, does everyone remember, uh, Pastor Jordan talked about the power of our tongues, right? The power of our mouths, that, that in, our, in our mouths, in our tongues, as it says in, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that the tongue has the power of life and death, right? And, and he talked about this idea that uh, sometimes we need to open our mouths and sometimes we need to shut them, right? And he talked about the difference between when we should obey and when we should praise. And so today I want to take these two ideas, right? I want to take this idea that, that in, our, in our mouths, in our tongues, in our words, that we have the power of life and death, and, and also that our lives are made up out of moments, right? Our, our lives are made up out of a collection of moments. And I want to ask this question, and this is the title of my sermon, who is telling your story? Turn to your neighbor and ask them this morning, who is telling your story? There's someone to your other side, Jack. <laughs> See, I want to I wanna turn to, to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read from, from verse 22 to 29 in the message version. Uh, and then we're going to pray and then we're going to get into it. And I want to explore this idea of who is telling your story. So if you've got your Bibles here, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to chuck it up on the back screen as well. It says this. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, that's a different sermon, uh, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and it wrenched out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my, man, my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for the, um, for the moment that we get to share together this morning. As we come together as, as family and as friends and as we listen to what it is that you're saying, God. God, I pray that it wouldn't be uh, my words, it wouldn't be my thoughts, but that you would speak through this moment this morning. That, that we would hear what you're saying, that you would touch our hearts, that you would change mindsets, that you would heal hurt. God, that we would know when we leave this building that we met with the almighty God, creator of the universe, that you are with us, that you are for us, and you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to, to think for a moment. If it helps, you can, you can close your eyes, but you don't have to. But I want you to think for a moment on the five most influential moments in your life. Right, if you just think about your life, what would be the five most influential moments in your life so far? 
right? Just, just whatever comes to your head as it comes to your head. You can tell your neighbor if you want. You can not tell your neighbor. Maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe it's like, oh, it's that time that I forgot to bring a change of clothes after swimming to the school and I had to wear my wet gym shorts the rest of the day. That didn't happen to me, but it was just, just a, you know, an idea. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, um, when you got married, right? Maybe it's when a, a child was born. Maybe it was when you got a job. Maybe it was when you graduated. Or, or, or maybe, maybe it was when someone passed away. Maybe it was when you, you lost a job or, or had a breakup or, or, or received a, a diagnosis. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write those five moments down, just in, in, whatever, in whatever order they come to you. It might be a few more than five. It, it might be a few less. And I don't want you to try and puzzle it out. I don't want you to think, oh, why was that? No, maybe that wasn't. If, if it came into your mind, just write it down as a significant, influential moment. Right? Chances are, if you're anything like me, it'll be a mix of good moments and bad. Not just the five happiest moments or the five hardest, but the five most influential. The moments that, that you feel, if you're being honest with yourself, have shaped you the most. And as you're thinking and writing, I want to explain. See, this morning I want to look at your story. This morning I want to look at your life and the moments that have made you the person that you are today. This morning I want to ask the question, what are the, the plot points of your story, right? If someone was writing your story as a biography or, or, you know, they're turning your story into a movie and they sat down and they started plotting out the different chapters, what would be the, the plot points of your life? What are the collections of events that you have decided, maybe not deliberately, but, but have been, um, make you who you are? Because stories are interesting, aren't they? You know, I don't know about you, um, you you're, you're becoming quite familiar with my uh, travel arrangements, right? I don't know why, I just seem to talk about it all the time. Um, but so, so you will know, because I've already told you on countless occasions, that, uh, that I catch the train to work, right? Does anyone else here catch the train? We've got fellow train catchers? Wow, there's literally like three of us here. You guys need to catch public transport, man. It's where it's at. It's, um, it's amazing, probably because most of you live in the city and there's no, like, or like this end, there's no train. Anyway. I catch the train to work, right? And, and one of the things that I like doing on the train, or not like doing, but one of the things that I find myself doing on the train is, is I watch people and, and my imagination kind of takes over and I tell stories about them. You might know this feeling if you've ever caught a bus or, or just waited somewhere where a whole lot of people are walking by. You, you see the people walking by and your, your mind kind of jumps into the gap and it starts telling stories about the people that you see. And, and the great thing about the train is that Usually it's the same people catching the same train day in and day out, right? So I see them and the story just gets to grow and grow and grow. There's this, there's this one guy, every morning he's on the train and he has the paper, right? And he opens the paper and he goes to the bit in the paper that's the five-minute quiz, right? Anyone familiar with the five-minute quiz, right? Great institution of all workplaces everywhere. And he goes into the paper and he rips out the five-minute quiz and he puts it in his pocket, which, you know... Okay. I hope he didn't just buy the paper for that, and he, hopefully he realizes that, you know, stuff has like a morning quiz and an afternoon quiz you don't have to buy a paper for. They're entirely free, right? But, but he, he gets this quiz, and he puts it in his pocket, and, and I found that my mind starts telling me a little bit of a story about him, that, that maybe he does the quiz on the train to work, and then he arrives at work, and it's morning tea time, right? And they ring the bell. That's what they do at my work to signal it's, it's time for the quiz, guys. Ding! 
That's the only thing the bell's for, right? Just quiz time. And, and so the bell rings and everyone gathers around and they go, oh, it's quiz time, it's quiz time. And Greg walks in, I've named him Greg, right? And he's like, quiz time, I'm ready, right? And he walks in and it's like, the first question, what is the capital of Tanzania? And he's like, oh, don't you know it's a Dodoma? Right? I looked that up, I didn't know what it was, right? It is Dodoma though, I don't know if that's how you say it. He was like, wow, Greg, your general knowledge astounds me. It's, it's so amazing. How do you know these things? And he's like, ah, it's just, just have a knack, right? But every morning he's sitting on the train, right? Sweaty palms, I've got to memorize these answers. I've got to keep my streak going. They all believe that I know everything, right? There's, there's a, a, a lady on the train. And, and for the past year, right? I've been catching this train for about two years now, actually. For the past year, though, she's been reading the Fifty Shades series, I don't want to tell any more of a story about her. I just find it weird that she's been reading the same book for like an entire year. And also, if you're going to read a book like that, that's maybe a little bit embarrassing to read in public, like Kindle or something, right? Like you don't have to have the hard copy paperback just like, oh yeah, just read my schmutt on the train. Weird, right? I don't look at her too much. It's, it's awkward. And then there's this other guy, and, and he seems to interest me the most Every morning he, he gets on the train and he, he, he sits kind of just behind me. He's one of those guys that he's really pushy to get onto an empty train. I'm like, yeah, yeah hurry on through, man. The, your, your seat might be taken by us five other people on the platform. Ooh. But he gets in and he sits down. And, and, and from the moment we leave the station till we arrive in Wellington, which is about a half an hour journey, he rings people. And, and, and he rings people. And it's kind of sad because he rings people. And every person he rings seems to not want to talk to him which is maybe because it's the 7.15 train, right? So it's not exactly the ideal time to, to ring people and catch up. But he rings people and, and he's always got a, a few questions for them. What are you having for breakfast? What are you doing today? And, and, and did you have a shower? Right? And, and so I started thinking, and at first I just thought it was weird questions, but then my mind started telling me the story that, that maybe he's an estranged father. Right, that, that maybe something happened in his life, that he made mistakes, that, that something happened. And at the moment, he's estranged from his family. But every morning, he rings them, and he doesn't get to talk to them for long because at the moment, they don't have room for him in their life because of the hurt he's caused. But, but phone call by phone call, he's reestablishing himself. And that one day, he's going to stop catching the train. One day, he's not going to be on the train anymore because he's going to be dropping his kids off at school. That one day he's not going to be on the train anymore because he's going to be carpooling to work with his spouse. That maybe there's hope. And then the train arrives in Wellington and I realize that I've gotten way too involved in this fictitious story that I've told myself about a man on the train. See, in life we all tell stories. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't have a hyperactive imagination. And maybe you just tell your story like, that guy's wearing a hat. Maybe he doesn't have much hair. Maybe that's the extent of your story. Right, but we, we all tell stories. Stories are, are interesting. And, and when we realize it, every day we tell ourselves stories about ourselves. See, these, these stories can come from anywhere, from any moment in our life. But the thing is, is that not all of these stories are true. I want you to think again on those five moments that you wrote down. And if you can, I want you to to ascribe, to, to, to put a word to each moment. Put a word to each moment. The first word that, that pops into your mind when you think of that moment. Maybe it's, maybe it's peace. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's trust. Maybe it's weakness, ambition, love, hurt. 
here's the thing. For some of us, the words that we currently have associated with our moments, they're not true. Or at the very least, they're, they're incomplete. This morning, where have we in our lives believed a lie about something that's happened to us, about, about ourselves? In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the people in the temple who claim to believe in him. And he makes two key points to them. The first point is, is that we can be freed by truth. In the NLT version, uh, Jesus says in, in verse 32 of chapter 8, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then further on in the same chapter in, in verse 44, he makes the point that we have a natural tendency to tell and to believe lies. Jesus says this to the people who claim to believe in him. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, now, please understand, I'm, I'm not calling us children of the devil, right? That would be probably a bridge too far. That might kind of, you might disengage in that moment and be like, right, John is a bit judgy, on to the next church, right? But Jesus was making a point that, that within us, there's a fallen nature, that we are, we are constantly having to the deal with the, the lies that come at us. You know, if you just stop for a moment and just think about our, our culture, right? Our, our culture, which is, which is almost seemingly built on lies, right? Think for a moment about advertising, right? Not that advertising is the devil, but, but that advertising seeks to tell you a story, Right, that, that every piece of advertising we come across is, is, is telling us this is something that you can't live without. That, see, this is something that will make you feel. Once you have this, you'll be, and surely I'm not the only one who's bought a product advertised to, to fulfill my life in some way, had the product, and then realized actually what the ad implied to me would happen hasn't quite happened. See, so what happens if we're surrounded by a culture that constantly tells us we're incomplete and need to acquire something else, need to bring something else into our lives? What does that do for us and, and how we tell the stories of ourselves? Is it possible this morning that the picture that you have of yourself, the story that you tell about yourself isn't true or at the very least is incomplete? That, that somewhere, somehow, a lie has crept into how you think of yourself and you didn't realize. Right? This is hard though, isn't it? Because the, the lesser us, the, the lies, they feel real. They, they feel true. Some experiences, no matter how much we polish them, they still feel horrible. And perhaps worse, they feel true, right? A horrible, repressive truth about ourselves. I think the, the best way that, that I can describe this. The best example I have for this is a story that you can find in Second Chronicles chapter 12. And I encourage you, uh, read it in your own time. I'm just going to quickly surmise it for us. But it's the, the story of Rehoboam, the king of Judah. Right, and, and Rehoboam has just become the king of Judah because uh, the, the north and the south kingdoms of, of Israel have just split apart. Right, that's a whole nother story. But it's, I find it quite interesting. I encourage you, uh, have a read of it. 
And, and, and so what happens is, here he is, he's the king of half a kingdom, what's called the remnant. It's kind of the, the, the good bit of Israel. And, and he gets invaded by, by Egypt, more specifically by the king Shishak, the king of Egypt. And, and the king of Egypt comes in and he raids, but he doesn't take people away. He just comes in and takes all of the gold in the kingdom. He comes in and he rides in and he takes all of the gold, including these massive golden shields that Solomon, right, Rehoboam's father, Solomon had made. And and, and these shields, there were 200 of them that weighed around about seven kilograms each. And then there was a, a further 300 smaller shields that weighed about two kilograms each. And they're all made out of pure gold. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, it tells us that Rehoboam is attacked by Egypt because he and all of Israel with him had virtually abandoned God and his ways. And so here Rehoboam is, Solomon's solid gold shield stolen, right? These shields were estimated by scholars to, to have been worth $60 million, right? This is a, a huge sum of money. This is basically the... the um, the monetary might of this kingdom, right? And it's been stolen away. And so Rehoboam doesn't seek to go after Egypt and recover the gold that has been stolen. He instead makes some more shields, but this time he makes them out of bronze, right? And it tells us in the Bible that some scholars suggest that he makes these shields out of bronze and he pretends that they're made out of gold. He makes these shields from bronze, and he tries to convince the people that they are the golden shields, that he just replaced them or got them back, because he does a few things. Right? Whereas the golden shields were always left out all the time for everyone to see in the temple, Rehoboam only brings these shields out when he goes to the temple. It says that Rehoboam polished the shield. See, an important thing to understand about bronze is when you polish bronze, it can look like gold. But but the other thing is, is you can't leave bronze out. If it sits out and isn't constantly polished, what bronze does, which gold doesn't do, is bronze starts to oxidize, right? It starts to rust, and bronze goes from looking like gold to getting a kind of green crust on it. See, what scholars suggest is that Rehoboam was so embarrassed of this folly, of this defeat, that that he pretends that he's still got the gold and he hangs these bronze shields, only bringing them out when he's around so people associate them with him. See, in your life, maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe maybe horrible and, and unfair things have happened to you. And as a consequence in your life, you've replaced gold with bronze. Maybe you've replaced a a truth with a a half-truth. Maybe you've replaced, I'm here to make a difference with, I'm just here to get through. Or maybe you've replaced, I'm I'm called to love and to be loved with, I only have room for these people in my life. See, maybe life has stolen your gold your priceless truth worth $60 million and you've replaced it with bronze. These bronze shields were worth an estimated $5,000. See, they they don't even hold a a candle to the the value of the truth that we've lost and, and yet in our lives sometimes we pretend it's like for like. 
no, this, this is the same. In, in my life, this thing that I'm telling myself that I know is a half-truth or even a lie, no, it's, it's the same as the truth that I feel I've lost. It's the same as the thing that, that is gone. It, it, it's not. So this morning, I, I want you to, for the next 20 minutes or so, probably 15, I want you to entertain the thought that maybe some of the things that you believe about yourself aren't true. Maybe some of the things that you consider to be true about you are actually a whole lot less true than you hold them to be. That just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we're complicated. We're, we're broken people and we struggle to walk into promise. Just like Adam and Eve, just like Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Joshua and Jacob. Today I want to look at the story of Jacob. And I want to see what it is that, that Jacob can tell us. Because Jacob believed and behaved like he was one man until God led him to realize that he was someone else. God, God led him to realize that he wasn't who he thought he was. And as we look at this story, I want to use it as a mirror for ourselves to see how Jacob changed, where Jacob in his life hung bronze and God replaced it with gold. So we can see maybe in our lives where we might have done the same and where for us God also has a golden truth. Right, so Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is on his way back to his homeland, back to his brother Esau. And in the middle of the night, it says that a man starts a fight with him, which is odd. Right? I don't know how many of you have had a man start to fight you in the middle of the night. You're out camping somewhere, camping trip, you're in your tent, you zip up your tent, you're on your lilo, and all of a sudden there's a rustling. A man bursts into your tent and says, you, sir, or madam, I challenge you. Right? It's a fight. It's on. Let's wrestle. Wrestle till daybreak. Winner takes all. This is the moment. Hopefully none of you, right? Or else some of you have been like, going for camps and living don't know why I mocked Levin. It just came to my mind. I grew up in Paraparaumu. There was a bit of a rivalry, right? It's deep-seated. I'm really sorry, Richard. I apologize wholeheartedly, right? My dad went to the same high school as Richard. Levin's great. Yeah. Can we get a handful of Levin, yeah? Woo! Sometimes I wonder why I have a microphone. See, so, so in the middle of the night, this man fights Jacob, which is odd, but it's also not the first time in the Bible we're told a story of Jacob fighting, right? The very first time is in Genesis chapter 25, right? Jacob's mother, Rebekah, who is the wife of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, is pregnant, and she's pregnant with twins, right? And so one day, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, they hop on the old donkey or on the cart or however they transport, and they ride on down to the local clinic, right, for a sonogram, because everyone knows you had sonograms back then, right? And they get on the table, or Rebecca just gets on the table. I think it'd be weird if the guy got on the table also. Probably not enough room. I don't know. Right? But anyway, Rebecca gets on the table, and she gets that, that mushy, creamy stuff. I had an ultrasound once on my wrist. It felt weird on my wrist, so I imagine it feels even weirder on your belly. Um, and, and so they smush that cream onto her belly, and they start kind of going, is that the noise it makes? Doesn't that make a noise? It makes a noise, guys. In my brain, it makes a noise, right? If we, when we go to get ultrasound, I'm going to make that noise. Person will be like, what are you doing? I'll be like, it makes this noise. So, so there they are. Right? And, and, and she turns the, or the, the person doing the, the sonogram, the sonogramist. Yeah. Turns the um, sonographer. Yeah, let's go with that one. That sounds great. If that's not what they're called, it should be. Right? The sonographer turns the screen. says, Isaac. Look yonder at the screen because they're speaking in Old English because it's in the Old Testament. 
but they've got a sonogram. Uh, and, and, and so there's the screen, and, and Isaac's like, what is, what is, what is that? And sonogramist is like, you're having twins, congratulations. Right, and they're like, oh, wow. And the sonographer just keeps on going. But, but, but look, at, look at this. No, I'm going to keep on making the noise. If someone wants to take over making the noise, I can tell the rest of the story while the noise is. No, I'm just joking. Right, so, so the sonographer is like, I can't stop it. And then looks at the, looks at the screen and is like, oh, but, but would you look at, they seem to, the twins in, in your belly, they, they seem to be fighting. They seem to be engaged in, in some sort of, Combat. It says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, but, but the children tumbled and kicked inside of her so much that Rebecca says, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? Right, I've never been pregnant, but I understand that sometimes that's a bit of a sentiment that a, a pregnant lady might experience, right? Like, why is this so uncomfortable? Why can birth not be a little bit more simple? Right, and so these babies are fighting within her before they're even born. And then it goes on to tell us in, in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24 to 26, the babies are born. And it says, when the time to give birth came, sure enough, there were twins in her womb, as she found out from the sonogram. The first came out reddish, as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. They named him Esau which does not mean ugly, it means hairy. His brother followed, his fist clutched tightly to Esau's heel. They named him Jacob, which means heel. Esau, the, the hairy one, was born first. And this means that even though they were twins, he wins. Even though they were twins, he wins at life. He gets to become the boss because in this culture, the firstborn is the head of the house. The firstborn inherits the full measure of the father's blessing and birthright. And so Esau, for the very fact that he was born, but moments before Jacob is the inheritor. He wins. And, and so it means that when Isaac dies, he carries on the line. He becomes the CEO of Abraham and sons. Right? Esau gets the birthright and the blessing. And Jacob, named for the fact that he was holding Esau's heel, doesn't. See, Jacob's name doesn't just mean heel, though. Jacob's name also means supplanter. A supplanter is, is defined as one who wrongfully or illegally seizes and holds the place of another. Another word for it is the word deceiver or usurper. Right Through no fault of his own, because of the circumstances of his birth, Jacob is labeled, and we learned, like we learned from Jordan's message last week, words have power. Right, And so here Jacob is, and he's being labeled, and so unsurprisingly, Jacob grows up as a schemer and a trickster, as a supplanter. In his very nature, he seems to have a, a tendency for doing the wrong thing. Right, so let's jump forward in Jacob's life. Right? Jacob is born and he's labeled the supplanter, the usurper, the deceiver. And so then in Genesis chapter 27, for, for his whole life, Jacob has been trying to get ahead, trying to get even or, or, or ahead of Esau. And so earlier he tricks Esau into selling his birthright for a red stew. And then in, in, in Genesis chapter 27, Isaac is old and blind and dying. 
And so he calls Esau and asks him to make a meal and says, after I eat the meal that you make for me, I will give you my blessing. And, and so Esau goes off to, to hunt, to find an animal to, to kill and to cook for his father for his last meal. But, but Jacob and his mom, they overhear what's happening and they come up with a plan. They overhear what's happening. And, and so while Esau is out hunting, they go and they kill two goats from the herd and they make a meal. And then they go and they raid Esau's wardrobe and they take his, his favorite clothes and they put them on Jacob. And then just to, to top it off, to round out the deception, they take the skin of young baby goats, right, which is hairier than Jacob, just about as hairy as Esau. And they use it to cover Jacob's arms and neck to make him feel like Esau. And Jacob goes into his father and says, it's me, your son, Esau. Eat this meal I've made for you and give me your blessing. And, and so Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Now Jacob has the birthright and the blessing. And then... Esau gets home, right? And, and, and Esau has been out hunting. And this means that Esau has got weapons, right? And Jacob has been cooking. Jacob, we're told, is, is not a hunter. He's not one of those men that go out and slaughter things. It says in the Bible that he liked to stay amongst the tents, right? Which is fine. We're not judging Jacob, but it probably means in a fight, hairy, burly Esau with the weapons is going to defeat a slim, shiny, smooth Jacob who stays amongst the tents, right? And so Esau comes back and he has weapons and Jacob was a good cook and Esau was a good hunter. And it says in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41 to 45, we'll chuck it up on the screen. It says, Esau seethed in anger against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He brooded, the time for mourning my father's death is close. And then I'll kill my brother Jacob. When these words of her older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she called her younger son Jacob and said, your brother Esau is plotting vengeance against you. He's going to kill you. Son, listen to me. Get out of here. Run for your life to Haran, to my brother Laban. Live with him for a while until your brother cools down, until his anger subsides and he forgets what you did to him. I'll send for you and bring you back. Why should I lose both of you the same day? So Jacob runs. See, so far, Jacob's life has been one big extended tragedy, right? Because of his scheming, he splits his family in half, and now he has to run from his twin brother, right? I don't have a twin, but arguably a twin should be someone in life who you are close to, maybe even the closest to for a long time. Why has this happened? Right? Why has Jacob's life fallen apart so dramatically? Because he believed a lie. Right? He was told that he was Jacob. He was told that he was a deceiver, a supplanter, a usurper, and he believed it. See, just really quickly this morning, I have three points for you. Three points for you, and, and they're going to come in quick succession, but three points on what we can learn from Jacob about telling our own stories, about separating out lies from the truth. The, th the first point this morning is that believing a lie will make you miserable. 
right? Bronze is not gold. Believing a lie will make you miserable. See, what we know with the hindsight of his history is that Jacob's true name wasn't Jacob. We know that that was the name that his father gave to him. That was the name that his mother ascribed to him, but it's not what God called him, right? God calls Jacob Israel. Israel means to fight with God. And and like Jacob means supplanter, Israel means the one who God fights for. See, but his whole life, he thought that he was Jacob. His whole life, he thought that he was Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the usurper, Jacob the supplanter. Someone else was telling the story of Jacob and he believed it and it made him miserable. He had inadvertently, accidentally hung bronze and called it gold because it was a lie and he believed it to be true. In your life, are some of the things that you believe about yourself lies? You can tell if they're lies because they make you miserable. When you think on those moments in your life and those words, which ones make you feel bad about yourself? Which ones make you feel that that you are less than you should be? Which ones make you feel uh, full of regret, full of disappointment, that, that, that turn your stomach? Are there words like fear? Are there words like inadequate, like failure, like disappointment? See, the only truths are from God. And God doesn't call you Jacob. He calls you Israel. He doesn't call you a deceiver. He says that he fights for you. And and when we make mistakes, he doesn't condemn and shame. He convicts and encourages. Right, so so, so what this is, is it's, it's not this is what you did and it's bad, so therefore you are bad. It's this is what you did and it's bad and you are better. This is why you feel bad for doing this because you are more than this. See, so Jacob isn't happy being Jacob. Jacob wishes that he could be someone else. He doesn't like who he is. And his solution is to pretend to be Esau. See, doesn't this sound kind of familiar? There are some things about you that that maybe you don't like. Like like we talked about two weeks ago, there's, there's a gap in your life. There's a gap between where you are and where you feel God wants you to be. Right, the person that you know that you should be, that God calls you to be, and this gap between the two, it frustrates us. Right, this gap between the two, it, it irks us, it, it makes us feel bad. But rather than like we talked about two weeks ago, rather than celebrating that this is where I am, this is where I want to be, but this is where I was. And look at this gap between the two. Look at the work that God has done in my life. Look at how He is moving me forward in His promise. Look at how I am going further and further and telling ourselves the story that God is working in me. Telling ourselves the story that, that God is working in me. I'm getting there. Look, look at where I was. I'll learn. I'll develop. I won't keep on making the same mistakes again and again. Instead of that story, we say, look at this gap. Look at this gap between who I am and, and who I feel I should be. It's so big. This gap is so big. It's, it's so large. It, it's too big. It, it feels insurmountable. And sometimes our response is to pretend that this gap isn't there. No, this isn't where I am. This isn't who I am. I don't make mistakes. I'm this person already. I'm perfect. No, no, I'm, I'm all good. And, and we know deep down that we're not. We know deep down that we're not perfect, but we put 
on this fake perfection. Like Jacob dressing himself in Esau's clothes and and attaching goatskin to himself to make him seem like Esau, we don't like who we are, so we put on someone else's clothes. We cover ourselves in the proverbial goatskin, but here's the problem, my second point. Pretending to be someone else will also make you miserable. Polishing bronze does not make it gold. A pretty lie is still a lie. So Drake, Jacob dresses up as Esau. And the thing is that it, it works. Jacob gets what he wants. Jacob gets the blessing. But Jacob gets the blessing by pretending to be someone that he wasn't. And so because of his deception, Jacob has to spend the next 20 years of his life on the run from Esau, right? Rebecca thought, oh, he's just going to calm down. He'll just simmer off. He'll just forget what you did to him. But Esau's rage stays burning hot. Esau is angry and, and he got, Jacob got exactly what he wanted. Jacob got exactly what he was after, but he never got to enjoy it because when you build your story around pretending, when, when your plot point isn't, I give my all and God honors my effort, but is I'm going to act confident and I'm going to pretend that I've got it together. And deep down, I'm going to be deeply, deeply anxious. It's like sucking in your gut. Right, let me explain. Over the last six months or so, you may have noticed that uh, I've almost lost 10 kgs, right? You can hold the applause. It's fine. That's fine, right? Jono, you're amazing. Yeah, that's all right. No, please actually don't. That's very awkward. Right, and some of you are thinking that, Jono, you probably didn't need to lose 10 kgs, right? Like, just relax a little bit. But my mum's a doctor, and uh, at X conference last year, there was like a health check thing, and she said to me, Jonathan, you need to lose 10 kgs. And I was like, all right, mum, you're a doctor. Uh, I'm going to do what you say, because you scare me a little bit deep down in my heart. Right, and, and, and so over the last six months, I, I've lost a, a little bit of, of weight, and, and the result was that I found I don't, I don't suck in my gut anymore. Right, you, you all, you, you know what I mean. Previously, I'd be walking down the street, right, like, just move my gut out, and I'd see my reflection, and I'd just, I'd innately do that thing automatically where I'd be like, oh, yeah, there we go, now I'm better, right, and I'd keep on going. See, but, but now when I walk down the street, I just only suck in my gut a little bit, right, I'm just like, oh, I correct my posture, right, there's not so much, there's, there's work to be done, we're not perfect yet, right, one day I'll be putty tie, but until then, I'll keep trying. It's because you're muscly, that was the, anyway. Right, but, but it's, it's like sucking in your gut. And as a result of, of not having to suck in my gut all the time, not innately just doing it automatically, I realized how tiring it was to always be trying to make sure that you look good, right? It's much easier in life to just look good rather than always seeking to get the right angle in the Instagram photo or put the right kind of filter on or, or hold your face in just the right way that it makes you look like an entirely different person. Rather than pretending to be someone that you're not, it's much easier to just walk, work on who you are. In life, are you tired because you have to maintain a posture that isn't you? That, that you have a bit of a, a metaphorical gut, but rather than work it off in the gym, instead, every time you stand up, every time you walk past something shiny, you have to pull it all in again. You think you have what you want. From the outside, maybe it looks the same, but you never get to enjoy it. Because every time you adjust yourself to look good, you're just reminded of the things that you want to change. And rather than being able to enjoy life, it's anxiety at having to keep up the facade. See, where in our lives are we pretending? 
And it, it feels, it looks like we get what we want, but in reality, we're just having to keep the lie going. And so by chapter 32, just as, as Jack comes up, by chapter 32, Jacob has been pretending for decades, right? And he knows now, he knows how it feels to be deceived. He knows how it feels to be let down in his life. He's been hurt in the way that he's hurt others. And he decides that he doesn't want to be the deceiver anymore. He doesn't want to be the usurper. He doesn't want to be the supplanter. And he decides, I need to go back to Esau. I need to go home. I need to work this out. And so he's on his way back. And one night he sets up his camp and he sends his family across the river ahead and comes back to the camp and he encounters God. See, my third point for you this morning, is God has a truth for you. God has gold for you. God has a true name for you. See, in the middle of the night, something grabs him. And Jacob knows that this is the moment, that something bigger than him was afoot. And so he's fighting this man, and in the middle of the fight, his hip is dislocated. Right, and I looked this up. The, the recommended medication for a dislocated hip is morphine. Right, that this means that a dislocated hip hurts. Right, when you dislocate your shoulder, I've never done it, but I've been with people who've dislocated their shoulders and I've, I've been in the hospital and the doctor got me to hold it and help it go back in and I felt very, very impressive. Right, but for that, they just give you laughing gas. Right, and that looked sore. For a dislocated hip, they give you morphine because here's the thing, God has truth for you. God has a true name for you, but the transition from lies to truth, it might be painful. The transition from the lies that you held about yourself to the truth that God says about you, it might hurt a little bit. The transition from taking off the clothes of Esau, from stripping the, the goat skin from your arms and your neck and standing naked as who you are and saying, God, this is who I am, but please accept me as it and help me to work on it. That might hurt a little bit. But here's the thing, learn from Jacob. Learn from what Jacob did and don't let go. The man says, who are you? Right, an odd time for an introduction. They fought all night, the sun is rising and the man says, who are you? But I imagine that this question brings it all flooding back. That the other time he was asked who he is was when Isaac asked, who are you? And he pretended. The other time when this question was asked was when he asked Leah, who are you? And she revealed, I'm Leah and not Rachel. And he realized what it felt like to be deceived. See, he responds with just one word. One word that I imagine was full of shame and regret. Jacob. And God meets him there in his shame and in his hurt and in his pain and says, no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel. See, the hosts are just going to distribute the, the communion elements. And in a minute, we're going to have communion together. But just as I finish, something interesting happens after this moment. Right, Jacob is renamed. Jacob is renamed as Israel. But if you keep on reading in Genesis, Jacob is called Israel and Jacob moving forward. It's, it's, it's not like with, with Peter or with, with Paul or 
anything like that, or with Abraham, or with Sarah, his name just doesn't all of a sudden change and he's never referred to as anything else again. But for the rest of his life, he's referred to as Jacob and Israel, right? Which, which has to make us question, who is he? Is he Jacob or is he Israel? And, and amazingly, the answer is both. See, throughout the Bible, he's referred to as both Jacob and Israel, the deceiver and the one who God fights for. Because like we talked about two weeks ago, we live in the already but not yet. We live in this world where the kingdom of heaven is here, but it's not yet here in all of its glory. See, we are redeemed. We are Israel. But we also live in the midst of a fallen world and we make mistakes and we stuff up and we hurt each other and, other and, and ourselves and we are Jacob. See, but, but like Jordan talked about last week, there is the power of life and death in your tongue. See, so here's the thing. You will innately behave like Jacob. I don't know if you've found this, but in life, my automatic reaction seems to be the opposite of what I want it to be. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the, the me I want to be seems to be the me that I'm not. I want to do right, and yet I find myself doing wrong. I, I want to escape sin, and yet I find myself sinning again and again. See, we'll innately behave like Jacob. We don't need, we don't need help to do that. So when we tell the story of us, let's tell it in line with God's truth. Because here's the thing, just because we behave like Jacob, just because we make mistakes like Jacob doesn't mean that we're not Israel. Doesn't mean that, that God isn't calling us to become Israel, that we are becoming Israel. So, so when you think of the moments that you wrote down, when you think of those moments that maybe you're holding in your head, do they tell you the story of Jacob or Israel? See, and here's the thing, I'm not saying change the moment. Right, I'm not saying that, that we can just pretend that things that happened that weren't good, things that happened that hurt us or that hurt others. I'm not saying that we can just pretend that they didn't happen. But what we can change is what we take from them. Whether, whether from the things that happened to us, we take a truth or a lie. And the moments that make you feel less the moments that make you feel less than you're called to be, from those moments you've taken a lie. From those moments we've accidentally let in deception. Maybe in your life you've, you've suffered a death of someone close to you. And from that moment you took fear. Who knows when I'm going to lose someone? Life is so uncertain, so fragile, and so you live in fear of, of losing others. Maybe that changes how close you let people get. Maybe that changes how you behave. But, but maybe you can realize that in that moment, in that death, God was with you. That it was hard. That, that it hurt, but, but that walking through it, God was with you. And so from it, you can take peace. Yes, it was hard. Yes, it hurt. Yes, it was horrible. But God was there. And in the moment, in the midst of it, you were able to feel a peace that surpassed understanding. It wasn't that the pain went, but that in that moment, you know that God was redeeming it. That in that moment where you could have taken fear, God brought you peace. Maybe it was a bad job experience. 
Right? Maybe, maybe you tried your hardest and it felt like you weren't able to, to do some things. Maybe it felt like you were weak. But in our weakness, God is strong. So, so in Him, you can do more than, than you ever thought. It, it, might not, it might not look how you imagined. But from that experience, maybe you can take trust. God, I don't know why this thing happened. I don't know why the the plan that I felt was the plan didn't work out as the plan, but God, I trust you in it, knowing that you are working all things together for the good of those who trust you. So God, in this, I'm gonna trust you. Ultimately, who is telling your story? Because it's not over. Your story is still being told. So when things happen, realize that this will shape you. The only question is how. Just as you close your eyes, as you bow your heads, as you hold those communion elements in your hands, in your life, are your plot points those of Israel or Jacob? In your life, uh, are you believing the truth and being set free by the truth or have you believed a lie? Do you believe that you are free, but, but you tell yourself the story and, and it's the story of a person in bondage? In your life, have you hung bronze and pretended that it's gold? Believed a lie. Because believing a lie will make you miserable. Bronze is not gold. Pretending to be someone else will make you miserable. It doesn't matter how much we polish it. Bronze is not gold. But God has a truth for you. God has gold for you. God has a true name for you. And see, what communion represents is the fact that God came and died for us to take our lives, to take our sin to take those things that we believe about ourselves that aren't actually true, no matter how much they might feel to be true. And he took them and he said, this isn't who you are. You're not sin. You're not wrong. You're not shame. You are good. You are redeemed. You are loved. You're not Jacob. You're Israel. See, communion is a powerful reminder that the lies don't have any power except for the power that we give them. So this morning, who's telling your story? Are you limited because you're believing lies about yourself? When God says you can, you're telling yourself the lie that you can't. When God says you're worth it, you're telling yourself the lie that you're not. When God says that you can change the world, you're telling yourself the lie that you need to stay safe. When God's telling you that that you can let people in and love, you're telling yourself the lie that you need to keep yourself safe. Just as you hold that cracker in your hand, I want you to remember that God's body was broken for us. Broken so that we didn't have to break that way broken so that we could know truth. God, thank you for your body that was broken for us. God, as your body was broken, we break the lies. God, we know who you call us to be. We'll be sustained in your strength, not in ours. Come on, why don't you eat the cracker?
And as you hold the cup, which symbolizes God's blood shed for us, remember that everything that you think stains you. Those mistakes that you feel define you. Those things that you feel mean that you are less when you should be more. God's washed them off you. That gap between who you know that you are and who you feel that you should be. God sees you as you should be. We know where we are, but God sees us as we should be. And he says you're perfect already. You're worthy of relationship. That he loves you. And so just before you drink this cup, as you drink it, I just want you to pull to the front of your mind maybe the, the biggest lie you know you're telling yourself about you. The thing that's not true. The thing that limits you. And just in your own time as you, as you take this cup, I just want you to remind yourself that you're washed clean of that. Let's drink. just as your, your head's about. Let's pray. God, thank you that you tell the story of us. God, thank you that we have the ability to believe whatever we want to believe about us, but that you're telling a story about us that says that we are more and not less. That you tell a story about us that says that we can. That you tell a story about us that, that says that we are called to make a difference. That you tell a story about us that says that we are worth it. That, that we are lovely. That we are, uh, are pure and blameless in your sight. That we are strong when we feel weak. That we are called to make a difference. This morning, help us to, to tell the story that you're telling to believe the truth, to realize where we've hung bronze and pretended it's gold. Help us to start the process of taking the bronze down and replacing it with your truth.